Hey, welcome to the Micro Entrepreneur Podcast, The Magic of Thinking Small. I am Julie Hall, the founder of microentrepreneur.biz and womenunlimitedworldwide.com, the UK's most popular women in business website. On this podcast, my main goal is to help you with marketing, mindset, and smart business strategies to help you build a successful micro business. Listen weekly as I share with you the proven strategies and tips on how to build and grow your micro business from real micro business owners just like you. Make sure you head over to microentrepreneur.biz and sign up to get a copy of my business tools that I couldn't live without. And I look forward to connecting with you over there. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Micro Entrepreneur, The Magic of Being Small. You'll find this episode at microentrepreneur.biz forward slash 29. So we're now well into January and I cannot believe how fast it is going. Um, This week particularly seems to have just completely disappeared on me and has meant that I've not achieved half of what I need to. But um, there's a couple of things I wanted to share with you that I have found and that I am hoping are going to absolutely change the way that I work. The first is a product called Passion Planner. And you can find it at passionplanner.com. And it is a big, big diary. It was mentioned to me first by Sarah Arrow, who we're going to have on the podcast in a couple of weeks. And basically, you can download this whole Passion Planner for free from passionplanner.com in exchange for a tweet, a Facebook message, which I just think is incredible because actually it's a really amazing tool on strategizing, on ha- on getting your ideas down on paper, on figuring out when you're going to do things over the course of the year. So it is a diary, but it's also a strategy tool and a review tool as well. So I, I'm going to use it for the year this year. And I'm really excited about having it as part of my business planning tools. And uh, definitely, I recommend that you go and check it out. Um, The other thing that I use is a moleskin diary. Now, I love moleskin products. Anyways, my notebooks are all moleskin product, um, are all moleskin notebooks. And they are just, I like them because of their quality. And actually, um, (laughs) because they, you know, because they, the paper is amazing. It's easy to write on. And I just think there are some things that we need to treat ourselves on. And stationery is one of my things. Um, the thing I particularly like about the Moleskin Diary is I get the large size, not the extra large, which is um, which is quite wide and quite tall. But the large size is probably about four inches wide and and ten inches tall, so it fits nicely in my handbag. <laughs> and for the guys listening, in your uh, backpack or whatever. Um, and it's got a, a notes page on one side and then it's got the diary entries on it on the other. So it's a it's a fantastic pocket tool for just tracking what you're doing and what you need what you're going to accomplish that week. And because it's got the notes page, it's I use that to write down, you know, what are the things that I must do, what are my key objectives for that week. And it's just a great way of keeping it keeping everything 
front of mind, I suppose, in a really easy way. I do tend to manage my diary mostly on on the computer and on my phone. So it's more of a work tool for me rather than a diary tool. But it is a, um, you know, it's a what work am I going to do this week tool. Anyway, so those are my two favorite uh, planning tools. Um, I'm not a natural planner, so I definitely need all the help that I can get. We also had a great webinar with Denise Duffield Thomas yesterday. Denise is the author of Lucky Bitch and uh, Get Rich Lucky Bitch. And you may remember her from the podcast a couple weeks ago. And she talks all about uh, how we can create more money or more luck, you know, how we can manifest more of what we want in our lives. And the thing I love about Denise is she's just really straight, straight with you. She's, you know, she, there's no bullshit. There's no uh, hidden agenda. You know, she just genuinely, genuinely wants to help people and um, help them create more. And she's had amazing success in her life and in her business. And if you want to check that out, you can go to womenunlimitedworldwide.com forward slash Denise. Listen in, download it, um, go check out her website. She's got a whole bunch of freebies at luckybitch.com forward slash Julie. And uh, yeah, definitely if if making money in your business is something that you struggle with, then you really should go and check out her stuff because I think it's I think it's great. And yeah, she doesn't she's not trying to she doesn't oversell, if that makes sense. Um, now today on the show, we've got an interview with Mike Southern. Mike, Mike kind of in a roundabout way was one of my book business mentors when I very first started out and I love his straightforward style. Now he's built, you know, multi-million pound businesses and worked with Richard Branson and all sorts of amazing people. Um, but he's still really down to earth. And one of the things that he has said is, you know, he's quite happy to, um, put himself out there and has offered free mentoring session to everybody that's listened to the podcast, which is a lot of people. Um, but <laughs> if you feel like you could use a bit of a leg up or you'd like somebody else's eyes that really understands business on your business, you should definitely take him up on the offer. And you'll find his contact details on the show notes on at microentrepreneur.biz forward slash 29. Um, and I've got a bit of a favor to ask. I am looking for either business shows or any other kind of show, but ideally business. But if not, if there are any other kind of podcasts that you listen to that have two female co-hosts, I'm thinking about putting together a, a show with somebody else. And um, when I was looking, I couldn't find any that had two women that were co-hosting the show. So I would, I'd love, love it if you know of any, if you could email me at julie at microentrepreneur.biz and just let me know because I'd love to have a listen in and just see what the dynamic is between two women. I know there are lots of guy shows out there, um, but yeah, interested in women shows. So that's enough of me wittering on. Um, I'm going to go over to the interview with Mike now, and I hope you enjoy the show. Take care. Hi, 
Hi, welcome to this week's edition of Micro Entrepreneur, The Magic of Thinking Small. Today with me, I have Mike Southern. Hi, Mike. Hi, Julie. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Now, Mike is a very successful entrepreneur. And in fact, he has kind of blown the whole micro entrepreneur idea out of the water. However, um, he's got he now works a lot with micro businesses and has some great courses on selling. His first business was called the Instruction Set, which was his first multi-million pound business. And we're going to hear more about how he set that up. He wrote the book, The Beer Mat Entrepreneur, which is an absolute must have for every business owner's library. And we're going to be talking to Mike today about all sorts of things around how to build a successful micro business, how to deal with 2015, what we should be looking out for, and also hearing a lot more about Mike's story. So hi, thanks very much, Mike. I'm really thrilled to have you on this podcast with us today. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about uh, the Beer Mat Entrepreneur and the instruction set. So how did you get started? How did it all come about? And all the good stuff around that. Okay, well, I'll give you a very abbreviated version of my life history. I'm mean, I did a degree in chemical engineering at the University of Bradford, and I thought I was going to be building oil refineries for a living. But while I was at the University of Bradford, I went up to the Edinburgh Fringe with the University Drama Group, and it lost a lot of money. It wasn't my fault, even though I wasn't terribly good in the show, let's be honest. But myself and a technical person, one of the guys who did The Sound of the Light, another undergraduate, thought, well, it's obvious why we've lost money. It's because we're miles out of town. So we decided, the two of us, that we were going to go up to Edinburgh again. If we can do a deal with a central theatre, we'll do a show. If we don't, we won't. So that's exactly what happened. We found a place called St. Columbus by the Castle. And uh, it had a church upstairs and a church hall downstairs. We did a deal with them that we'd provide all the technical equipment, the sound of the light, and run the shows for free in exchange for getting free rent. So we ended up doing a three-week show. I wrote the show. My friends did all the technical stuff. We were absolutely exhausted by the end of it, but we made money. Now, I didn't really think very much of that until... A year or two later, when I was uh, selling scaffolding, um, because the bottom had rather fallen out of the building oil refinery market, and I was really miserable. I was back with the same guys. They said, oh, no, no, you don't want to be selling scaffolding. We're now experts in a thing called the Unix operating system, and we're now computer science lecturers. In fact, there's a company in London that we just go and freelance train for. Get a job with them. They're above a sex shop in Soho. It's actually a porn cinema, but you get the idea. <laughs> so I started picking up the phone at this company in London, saying, would you like Unix courses? And people say, yeah, I'll have 10, please. And I'm like, oh, I'm good at sales. And then I persuaded Mike Banahan to join me at this company. And then a third guy joined who said, let's do it for ourselves. So in January 84, myself and a couple of my friends from Bradford University who were computer wizards started a company called The Instruction Set, which was based around the Unix operating system. And we thought, well, one day we'll write software. But right now we'll just do training like we did before. And we built it from three to 150 people in five years. Now, I, th I thought at the time it was due to my innate brilliance at sales. Well, I've since learned be at the right place at the right time. But we had a lot of success. We didn't write really software in the end. We just did services. We did training, consultancy, software development. So five years later, we got one of those offers you can't refuse from what was then the, probably still is, the largest service organization in Europe uh, for computer services, Capgemini, Ernst & Young, as they are now. And we just sold it. So that was, and then I worked there for two years because you have to have an earn-out. Then I played in a band for a while, which is a completely different podcast. But then back in the 90s, I came back to doing startups again, but always this is very important, doing sales. That was always my job. I wasn't the technical person. I was the job of selling software that didn't quite work yet, you know, to people. And I had very mixed success in the 90s. I mean, some companies I worked for eventually went public, but there was something wrong with them, ethically, I thought. Other ones, it was just very tragic, brilliant software, brilliant people, but nobody actually wanted to buy it, whatever I said. And I wasn't really making a lot of sense out of it. But around about 2000, 2001, I found myself back at a university again for the 10th year running, talking about 
what was supposed to be computer services, but it was actually my stories from startups. And somebody said, you should write a book about all that. Now, you're very kind to say I wrote the BMAT Entrepreneur. Actually, I didn't. I'm a co-author because this is very important. What I did then was I take the best piece of advice I now give to any entrepreneur I meet, which is whatever you are, find your foil, your complete opposite. So I'm obviously extrovert salesman, shouty person, overconfident kind of chap. My foil is a delivery person, somebody who actually writes books or writes software. Now, this person is Chris West, who's a very brilliant man. I've known him since I was 13, since we met at school. And he's a philosopher and a novelist. A philosopher makes logical models. And a novelist writes novels. So he took all my stuff, my experiences, which I rather wanted to go into an autobiography. But he pointed out that nobody would buy it apart from my mum. <laughs> he turned it into a logical model, which became the beer mat entrepreneur. So he used the metaphor of you go down to a pub, you write on a beer mat, and you turn your good idea into a great business. So the, bit, the book is 50-50. It's not, he's not a ghostwriter, even. He made a logical philosophical model, because that's what philosophers do. Then he wrote a novel. Once upon a time, three friends go down to the pub, they write on a beer mat, then what happens? Now, that book came out in 2002, I think, the first version. And since then, I think it sold 100,000 copies around the world, 17 languages or something. So <clears throat> once that started happening, I then decided I was going to be a professional speaker because I love to speak. I'm a front of band. I've been a stand-up uh, stand and an actor and various other things. So I started professionally speaking. So I now speak at everything, kids in schools, big international conferences. I've interviewed Branson several times, I've just done Bob Geldof, you know, so, so I did a lot of conference work, so that's how I kind of earn a living, and Chris writes more books, and we wrote follow-ups to the Beer Mat Entrepreneur, we wrote Sales on a Beer Mat, we wrote a book on entrepreneurship, large company entrepreneurship, Chris did a book on marketing, we did one on finance, and so on. So where I find myself now is that um, I speak for a living, so I do that, but then the rest of the time I take the advice it says on the front of our original book, which is provide mentoring. So I mentor a lot of people, especially as we were discussing before we started, micro-businesses, people just starting out. Obviously, I speak to people thinking about selling their company, and that's quite advanced and grown up, but I do spend a lot of time with the kind of people that, that you focus on, which is I'm thinking of working for home, doing, I don't know, dog grooming or being a plumber or a web expert and getting them started and demystifying the process. So that, that's me in a nutshell. Um, but, I, but if I just leave you this thought before you ask me the next question, which is of all the experience I've had in entrepreneurship, I now reckon that the most important success factor in your ability to grow a business or start a business even is your ability to find and retain mentors. It's not about the idea. All ideas are brilliant. I've never heard a bad business idea in my life. Everyone that's been pitched to me, I thought, fantastic. I'm sure someone's going to make a lot of money doing that or being very successful, whether it's the person I'm speaking to is the issue. <clears throat> it's about their ability to first find a foil to cover the other side. So me, I will just need delivery people. So I'll make a promise. Oh, I've got this amazing lady. She's written this great book about micro-businesses. I need somebody to actually write the micro-business book. And, of course, you, you've written a brilliant book on micro-businesses. You need somebody like me to go and tell all their friends and, you know, go into pubs and, you know, restaurants and say, come on, you've got to buy this book. It's brilliant. Trust me, I'm, I'm excellent. I'm a salesman. So that's how it works. You start with sales and delivery. Finance is actually relatively easy because if you, I don't know, do dog grooming for £20 and you end up with £10 profit because it costs you 10 quid for, to buy the combs, you've made a 10 quid profit on one transaction. More people are asking you for dog grooming because you're quite good. You're an entrepreneur. That's it. No business plan. You've got 10 quid left in your hand. You've got cash in the bank. You've got a business. I mean, we ran a cash business at the instructions. I mean, not literally cash, but I sold a course on the first morning that we hadn't written yet to somebody who liked us for money up front. Good place to start with services. And obviously, you know, the course went really well and so on. So if you're starting a service business, get money from your friends, work a profit on it, wait to see if word of mouth is taking off, but you can work from home forever. And most micro businesses now, I say, 
work from home. Why not? Why have an office? What's the point? I mean, there are reasons for doing that once you grow, but right on, work from home, be good at something, have a bunch of friends in, in the widest term, people who like you, recommend you to their friends, and then worry about the rest later. You're already an entrepreneur if you've made a profit and people want your, your services again. Yeah, and it's really interesting because actually I come up against this quite a lot because I talk about micro-entrepreneurs, right? So this podcast is called Micro-Entrepreneur and I, a lot of people feel really uncomfortable with the term entrepreneur. You know, they're like, I can't call, I don't call myself an entrepreneur. Um, and I don't know if the, na- the word feels too big for them or, or what it is. Um, but for me, an entrepreneur is someone who brings value into the world and charges other people for that value. And mm. it's, quite a, it's a, quite a simple thing. They take a bit of a risk, put themselves out there, say, here's my stuff. Will you buy it? They buy it. You make some money. Fantastic. And I don't think it has to be any more complicated than that. What's your experience in terms of people using the term entrepreneur? What's your view on it? I agree with you completely because there's a public perception of entrepreneurs, some of it right, some of it wrong. I mean, one side I get is, oh, you interviewed Richard Branson. I'd love to be an entrepreneur, but I'm I'm not as good as that. I say, well, nobody is really. I mean, there's a few (laughs) that are up there at that level. But you could earn a good living doing what you're doing profitably and you're an entrepreneur. Also, you get um, terrible programs like Dragon's Den and The Apprentice, which gives a very warped, twisted, and in my view, immoral view of what entrepreneurship is all about. It's unpleasant people with piles of money putting money into your business. That's not how it works 99.99% of the time. But I make a joke often that I regard the Dragon's Den as the unprepared pitching to the unpleasant. <laughs> and The Apprentice is even worse. It's actually the unemployable pitching to the unpleasant. Well, yeah. this, is, this is not entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship it should be something like you or me saying, oh, you've got a bit of a problem, have you? Only? You've got mice in your warehouse. Do you want me to get rid of the mice for you? I think I can do it. Give me 20 quid. In fact, give me 10 quid up front and the other 10 quid when I've got rid of your mice. Now, if you don't get rid of the mice, well, they'll say, well, well done for trying. If they say, oh, my God, you couldn't do the mice from my friend's warehouse as well, you're an entrepreneur. As long as you've got profit in it, if you can sell it first, yeah. it says, I'll take a chance on you. Well, it's not so much taking a chance. It's just like, well, when you're in Surrey somewhere, well, you're around the corner. I mean, it's probably a brilliant person in Aberdeen, but you're around the corner and I like you and I trust you and, yeah, have a go doing it. And, okay, since you've charmed me, I'll give you a bit of money up front. You can go out and buy some mouse traps or something. But it's just finding a need selling it, somebody saying, all right, I'll give you money, don't do stuff for nothing, showing value. So you paid me 10 quid to groom your dog or get rid of your mice, and you're saying, that was the best 10 quid I ever spent. I mean, I'll obviously get a special deal because you, you helped me out early, but everybody else should spend more because, oh my gosh, it costs 500 quid every time I try and get rid of the mice normally. It's that, it's that kind of approach. But if we, if we just reel back to, so what business do you start? I would say, well, pick something that you're passionate about. I mean, what's your hobby? I mean, I don't want to be, you know, facetious about it, but I mean, what, what do you like to do when you're not busy doing your micro-entrepreneurship? Do you have anything you're interested in sort of out-of-work hours? Just name me something, anything you like. Drawing. Drawing, there we go. So drawing, art, the whole thing about art. Now, if you and I went down to the pub, which is our metaphor, which works everywhere except in the Middle East, I have to say, where I'm the coffee shop entrepreneur, but anyway, that's <laughs> terrible ones. Anyway, but no, we just go down to the pub or the coffee shop or the uh, restaurant. We say, well, drawing. You're passionate about drawing, you read books on drawing, you like drawing, you know people who like drawing. Uh, we could come up in about an hour with 20 ways of making money out of drawing. Either yeah. you could do a drawing and sell it, or you could teach people how to do drawing. But I'll give you a great example of this, which is a really practical one, which is Simon uh, Graham, who does uh, all my web stuff and the beer mat easy. His wife, Renato, is from Slovakia originally. Uh, she's passionate about jewellery, so she makes jewellery. But then she discovered that you can't make jewellery expensive enough to make a profit at it. It's fun and your friends get it. Where she is making a very tidy living 
is teaching people how to make jewelry. Mm. So once you just think, and she thinks about jewelry all the time. She's now got a book on jewelry. The time is commissioner to write. She thinks jewelry, jewelry, jewelry all day long. And she'd be reading books on jewelry if even if she didn't have a business. Something you're passionate about, there is money in it. So if it's football, it's anything to do with football boots or going to matches. If it's kids, there's looking after kids, teaching kids, whatever you're passionate about. Because there's this saying, it's attributed to pretty well everybody, but I think it was Thomas Edison who said, if you do what you love, you'll never do a day's work in your life. Yeah. And the concept of retiring just doesn't come in. You know, some people have horrible jobs, they can't wait to retire. I feel very in a very patronising way, very sorry for them. I'm going to carry on doing this until I drop dead, literally. Perhaps not at the speed that I do it now, because I love what I do, and every day I get up, I've got something different, and also I feel I'm doing a bit of good, and, you know, maybe not everybody I can help a lot, but, you know, some people have said that was really useful advice, and even if we'd just written that book, and people like you had read it, and we'd done some good in the world, and plus, you know, Chris has got some very nice royalties out of the book. I mean, not he's not exactly J.K. Rowling, but, you know, he gets his royalty statements, and he does very well. And I, on the other side, I'm not interested in the royalties from the books, particularly. It's not, not what I do. I get paid a lot of money sometimes to speak, and, of course, I have to think about being really good at what I do, and I work on the craft of speaking all the time. And if I have to do interviews with the likes of Sir Richard Branson, I've got, you know, several weeks of research before I can sit on the stage with authority and talk to him about yeah. stuff that matters and get his trust so he opens up a bit and pick up the learning points. So we just find something we're passionate about. Somebody's got a pain or a problem, and usually it's that they've got a pain or a problem, which is, of course, I could do it for myself, but I don't have the time. I've got a full-time job, or I'm busy doing something else. If you can organise a drawing lesson for me, I'll just turn up. Hey. Yeah, and, well, and also it just feels too hard, right? So... Learning to draw from a book is tough. Learning to draw when you're in a room with other people that are passionate about drawing, with somebody that's an expert and they can help you, give you the little tips and the tweaks. You can't get those things just from a book, you know? And it's, I, you're absolutely right. And I think, um, I do think there's, however, one other side to it, which is the other, passion is great, um, but I also know lots of successful business owners that are just really good at doing what they do, like in the corporate world. So consultants, for example. And I think so often we get caught up in this, I need to love what I do. I need to be really passionate about it. That actually quite often we forget just using our skills is enough. You know, getting that buzz from helping other people or working with other people as an expert is also another way of, of building a successful micro business. You know, not necessarily doing a hobby, but doing something that is your talent. Sure. And it's about what we call being in flow. And sure, you know, all of us have to put food on the table. And even the thing that I'm passionate about, sometimes I'm at a speaking engagement thinking, hope this finishes soon. You know, not that not everything is brilliant, but there's some that are really brilliant. It's just uh, you're doing something where you feel you're making a difference. Uh, people are listening to you. Yes. And... Um, you're thinking, yeah, I've, I've got my head around that. I've worked out how to do that. I mean, some people would call them have a mechanic profile. I'm a, I'm a star profile. It's all about me and my brand and me being lovely and so on. And that works for me. Was Chris could literally write a book on anything. I mean, he writes books on all different subjects. He's just a good writer. Mm. And some, of course, some books he's, you know, it's his dream to write them. In fact, he's written one under a pseudonym recently just so he has a different brand. Just for fun, he had to write the book. Other ones, somebody would say, right, Mike, Chris, I'll give you money to write a book on on business of some sort. And it's not his favourite thing, but he does it, and he does a good job, and he's proud of what he does. Uh, we always have a, a mixture in life. But if you can to default to something where you have a genuine interest, or you just you convince yourself in a way, which is, do you know what? Once I've started looking at, I don't know, property, I'm actually quite into it, and I'm finding it interesting and engaging and intellectually stimulating. But it comes back, and this is the meaning of life stuff I do when I'm mentoring, which is, 
At the end of the day, you want to, I mean, or let me get technical on you, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which they talk about in the corporate environment. Yeah. Money moves up and down in security depending on your age and you worry about your mortgage. But right at the top are always, in, depending who you speak to, either making a difference and you know, people are listening to me. You know, I'm, I'm actually not just here doing what I'm told and nobody cares. It's that, it's, those are the most important things for any driver. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're good at something and you just get the, the basics right, which is what you and I talk about all the time, just do the basics of business right, at the end of the day, there'll be a, an amount of money, which people say that was good value for money. Um, I'm glad I spent that money. I don't begrudge you that money. That's, you know, that drawing class I went on was fantastic. And uh, oh, can I buy two more? Because um, if you've got a service, you can charge what you want for things. Potentially, if you're an eye surgeon, you can charge a lot of money. If you're teaching drawing, probably less. But at the end of the day, it should be a good, profitable business. Yeah. And at the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, are my family eating? And am I getting a livelihood for myself? What's my order book like in the future? Am I worried about paying my mortgage? Those kinds of things. But just be good at something, be passionate about something, and then just get good advice. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think so often we spend so much time thinking, you know, thinking big, like the, you know, looking at that big goal in the future, the million-pound business. That actually we lose sight of what it is, <laughs> what we're doing, right? Absolutely, and that's another very, very well-made point, which is. Don't think big. Every entrepreneur I've ever met early stage, I think, think small first. Yeah. Sell to everybody in the universe. I don't know. But who are you going to sell to in your village first? You know, let's get it basic. Or, you know, there's 10, you know, I've got this new device I've got. There's 50 ways you could use that. So, well, let's just pick one and see if anybody gives me any money for it. Then we'll pick the next one. So, focus down, focus, focus, focus. And of course, the measurement of any success in business is, of course, money. Now, money is not the be all and end all, but it certainly makes life more comfortable. Yeah. I've noticed. So whatever it is you're doing, at the end of the day, there should be ideally three people around the pub table or the, or the coffee shop table. There should be someone like me, very extra. Oh, I can't wait to tell all my friends about it. I'm sure they'll give me money. Then there might be somebody perhaps more like you thinking, right, now Mike's going to make a promise. I better deliver a really good drawing course or a book or whatever it is I'm going to produce. That would be Chris, the same thing. Third person saying, are we making any money doing this? In the first instance, it's, it's fairly obvious, which is we, we sell it for five pounds. It costs us four. We make a pound. That, you know, even you and I can work that out. You know, we're, we're that good at finance. What they're thinking about longer term is could we scale it? So these drawing classes that you're thinking of doing, you know, you've got your friends in your village will do it. You know, you could draw, you could scale it out. Then you're beginning to think, well, I don't want to do drawing lessons in, in West Wales. I'll I'll sell the franchise to somebody. There's ways of scaling, but that's later. Start small, start easy. Yeah. Saying, oh, thank heavens, I found you. Here's some money up front. That's always a good test. Now for some, now for me, that's natural to do. I'm always asking people for money one way or the other. You know. <laughs> I'm loved for it because I'm a salesman. It's what I do. You know, I always test the model by, oh, would you give me any money for it potentially? Now, you might be different, or Chris is certainly different, which is the last thing they want to speak about is asking people for money. In fact, you might do some free drawing classes just because you want to, mm. a bit embarrassed about it. I'm saying, no, no, charge them something. And you always see, this is why when people say, well, I'll do something for free for first, I say, no, no, always charge something. It doesn't matter what it is. You might say, well, you know, if I was well known and famous, you'd probably pay me 20 pounds. Tell you what, I'll do it to you for 10. So you're getting a good deal first. Then after I'll have delivered whatever I delivered, the drawing class or the mouse clearing services, then on a scale of one to ten, how did you feel about it? Now, one is, I hate you giving me my money back. You know, I've got more mice than I had before. You're like, sorry, instant refund. If it's ten out of ten, which is, oh, my God, please don't talk to anybody else. I want to be your exclusive user of mouse clearing services and can I have your children at the same time? And you should charge everybody else a lot more money for this. I mean, I got a special deal because you were unknown. You test the model and you measure it with money. That's a good way of measuring it. So you've got to have that at the back of your mind. At the end of the day, you don't want to go broke trying to help you. 
No, absolutely. It's 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 always about getting those first figures right, isn't it? Is that the difference between what it costing you, what you're making, but then also, um, not you know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I, I talk to people and they're like, yeah, but I, you know, I need this big brand and I want an office that's going to hold five people. And it's like, yeah, just get the income in first. Make sure that people want to spend the money, that there's enough left over for you to live, for you to support your business, because businesses need investment too, right? And then you can start thinking about those growth those growth plans. And there's nothing to stop you doing it after 12 months, right? Absolutely. Building that, that, the bigger plan, 12 months after you've got some experience in building your business. That's absolutely right. Because I get exactly the same thing. People say, well, I better, better organize myself a logo and work up what my brand is and write my business plan. I say, no. First thing is, you personally are the brand. Do people like and trust you? Either you're going to make a promise, which you're going to get somebody else to keep, or you're going to do the work yourself. So do they like and trust you? That's the only logo you've got. It's your face. You know, or, I don't want to be as facetious as that, but it's, it's really down to you. Then do I need to write a business plan? Yes. But in about two years' time when you have some data. Because yes. all business plans that I've ever seen are rubbish. Yes. Here's why. Because there's two parts to a business plan. There's the costs, and they're usually 100% right. We'll start with one person, eventually we'll have 10 and 50 people, and we need chairs, tables. All those costs are 100% right. The stuff at the top is the problem. It's so the revenue projections. And I always used to get asked this. I was head of sales of all these companies, right? Give us your revenue projections for five years. Now, I know what I'm going to sell next week. Next month, oh, I'm a bit vague on. After that, no clues. I'll give you some ridiculous graph and you'll just divide it by 10. Yeah. And again, a bank will say, tell me about your business, send me your business plan. Irrelevant. I've spent the last six months, you know, manually doing drawing classes, mouse clearing, whatever it is I've been doing. I've got some data on some sales I've made. And here's some actual profit. Of course, it could be more profit. I could have better margins. At least I've got some data to work on saying, right, I spent five hours doing drawing classes and I made 50 pounds. I'm sure I can do it better. Let's write a business plan for scaling this up. Maybe I do them in the evenings. Maybe I do twice a week. Maybe I get a friend to do it for me. So write a business plan or even start a business formally or even get a bank account formally down the line. Work out that people like your services, they're willing to give you money up front, you can deliver it profitably, and they're telling all their friends, word of mouth is getting out. Yeah. I better have a website. Well, yeah, spend 20 quid and have a website. Hello, Mike Sutton, here's my phone number. I do drawing classes. That's all you need. So people can at least send somebody to say, where do I find them? And there's a bit of data. When do you run the classes? Spend 20 quid on a website first. Yeah. Then later, you can do a nice logo. You can have a better website. You come on the site. You buy things on the site. That's way down the line. Prove the model first, which is you're good at something. People like you. They're willing to come back to you again for more services and tell their friends. Then you do all the start a business malarkey you get in every other book. We're just and have fun doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about selling, which is your expertise. Is my expertise, yeah. Now, um, it's not always easy for a micro business owner to find they're quite introvert or they don't like the asking for money bit, like Chris. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, but they can't really afford to bring somebody else into their business. So they have to develop a sales skill yep. to be able to get their products out there initially. What advice would you have for people in, that are in that situation? Well, I meet these people all the time. In fact, the, um, when we ended up writing Sales on a Beer, which is called Mike's Take on Sales, it was essentially sales for non-sales people. That's the way it turned out. When I give, a, I give a workshop every so often where people just come and I just download it to them. I always assume they're a bit like perhaps yourself or perhaps Chris West, which is good at something, but embarrassed about doing the whole sales thing. 
And I say, well, first is, let's, let's acknowledge that. Not just say, oh, don't be silly, anybody can sell. Now, I'm a born salesperson. For me, it's very natural. But just like I can do drawing classes, I can't write books. I can't have learned how to write columns. I wrote for the FT for a while, but it's not what I do. I do the selling side of it. So here's what I say to people first, which is, the first sale is always the hardest. But you always sell to your friend. My friends are brought up. It's your best friend. Fantastic. They're willing to give you a chance. So it's somebody you met previously in a previous job or whatever, willing to think, yes, I like you and I trust you. And yeah, I, I, I trust that you're going to do that drawing class or whatever it is you're going to do. I trust you to do that. Then you've got to ask them for money, which is the hard bit. Now, there's various techniques I can teach you about you know, how to ask for money and closing and so on. It's all in sales on a beer mat. But the simplest thing you say to somebody is, oh, so you trust me to do a drawing class for you? How much can you afford? Now, there'll be 1% of people say, well, I'll, I'll offer you a pound because you have to accept it. Most people say, well, oh, if it's a good drawing class, I'll give you 20 pounds for it. Then you think, am I happy doing it for 20 pounds? Because you're doing like a deed. You're thinking, sort of, here's something which is fair, and you would be willing to pay that. Not the what you pay a top drawing class person, possibly, I don't know. But it's something fair, something you're happy to pay with, something you're happy to measure afterwards. Did you get value for money for 20 quid? But I always say, the first sale is the hardest. After that, it becomes very easy, which is... So, are you any good at drawing classes, Mike? I say, well, of course I'm hope. Too much selling already. Why don't you call my mate, Julie? And she'll tell you. Now, you, you get your friends to sell for you. And again, you're not going to say Mike's willing to drawing class if I'm terrible because you don't want to destroy your own brand. You say, well, you know, when Mike came in and said he'd do a great drawing class for me, I was pretty skeptical, but I'll tell you what, I'd recommend him to everybody. You get other people to do the selling for you. So the first one's the hardest, but if you can't get over that hurdle, frankly, you're not going to be able to get out of bed and be an entrepreneur yeah. and tell people, look, I'm good at stuff. And again, you don't want to do it in a shouty, extrovert way like I do it. Hey, get drawing classes from Mike. He's brilliant. You know, this is my style. It works for me. When I'm at it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good at drawing. Oh, too much selling already. I'm slightly embarrassed now. Have a chat with my good friend, John, who I did some drawing classes for. Let them do the selling for you. Then you just scale it up after that. And what and about raising your prices? So, you uh -huh. know, so you're, you're selling. It's quite easy I would suggest to sell something at a low cost, but actually you want fair value or even perhaps to charge a slight premium. Okay, now you see here we're getting into um, the definition of pricing, which people always get slightly confused because you, you still think when you said price, then you talked about value for money. Now, if you're selling services, you're only ever selling value for money because uh, a price is you think it's a commodity. It's like you know a pen. I've got a pen here, so here's a pen. I could go to Ryman's. I could buy it on Amazon. I could, you know, there's a million ways to get it. It's just a commodity. Now, you're not in that business when you're an entrepreneur. It's like, I've got not so much a pen, but a pen delivery service. Or I'll give you a better example. I'm an eye surgeon. You know, if I was the cheapest eye surgeon in London, you'd be thinking, what's wrong with me? If I'm the most expensive, you're thinking, hmm, okay, I'm, I'm willing to learn more because it's my child's site. I want the best one. I'd consider that value for money. So, of course, when you're selling any kind of service, be it drawing classes or entrepreneurship consultancy or web design services, you should have a general idea of what people generally charge. And the scale is never that great. So let's if we took, I know, web design. That's a classic one. I'll do a website for you. I get this all the time. Now, a cheap website person, you know, the cheapest you can get, not been doing it for very long. English is a second language, not terribly good at English. You're probably talking, I don't know, let's say 250 pounds. Top-notch design consultant from a top-notch agency, 1,500 pounds a day. So the scale is not that great. So you should have an idea in your mind for that's the cheap end of the scale. That's the top end of the scale. So if I ask for, if I offer it for ten pounds a day, I'm too low, and if I'm asking ten grand a day, I'm too high. So the scale is not that great. Then you think two things. First, what would represent value for money for them, and how much can they afford? And if you can have a grown-up conversation with them, you say, well, what can you afford? Let me see if I can do that for you. But very much based around 
how would we then measure success at the end? What would you regard as being value for money? A very interesting conversation with somebody yesterday who's just organized a site for an entrepreneur celebrity, and it's really good, and I'm with another guy, and um, he's saying, how much do you think we paid for that? And we said, we know, because we've been around the 5,000 pounds. This is a top-notch site. Now, five years ago, that person would have spent 100 grand and got something worse. So you can do things, and the person who charged five grand thought, yeah, I'm happy with that. I made probably a couple of grand on it. So it's about value for money. So you should understand what you, what you should charge, what's good, you know, what's top rate and what's bottom rate. You should also be thinking, what would I have to do to deliver up towards the top end? What is top quality web design? I want to be not the worst or the cheapest because there's probably somebody in China who will do it for half the price. I want to be at the top end of the scale. Then you go for value for money pricing, what you think works for them and works for you. Because I'll give you a classic example from my experience, which is I speak for a living. People say, what do you charge? I think I say, anything you like. Because I can't have a fixed price. Because one day I'm teaching a bunch of kids in a school for a friend. Other days I'm on stage with Richard Branson and da da da, da so, which requires a lot of work. And of course, when somebody explains then what the gig is, I've got some idea of, oh, it's down at that end or up at this end, I know what to charge. Then I think, well, a fair price is, let's say, £5,000. But I want to charge seven because I want because I want to be really good at what I do and good value. And they say, do you know what? That's the best seven grand we ever spent. So it's about understanding your market Asking them what they would like to pay, and if you really have a customer that you like and trust, you can even operate what's called trust-based pricing. Some clients I get call me up and say, Mike, put a date in the diary for a speaking engagement. I'll put the date in. Great. Week before I say, so what am I getting this time? And sometimes it's, look, need a favor on this one, Mike. It's a bunch of kids in the school. So, but you're happy doing it, and you're washing your face. You're not losing money, and you're doing some good. So, But I'm not taking the mickey, because the one I'm doing next month, good news, Mike, I'm giving you 10 grand for it. I'm clearing out my budget. Just keep your mouth shut kind of thing. So when you get that level of trust with clients where they like what you do, they know you give good value for money measurably, they have a good experience with you, uh, you can always say, I need to charge more. But you, and the time you charge more is when they say, I need it urgently. Mm. If it's like, I'm, you're a plumber. I've got a leak now. I want you to come around right now or within an hour because water level is rising. You can charge a lot of money for that. Yeah. Pop in and do a bit of maintenance when, when you're in the area and, you know, because I've got a drippy tap and I'm not that worried about it. So and you'll charge me your middle rate because that's the way I work. I always work on a month where I've got a couple of nice gigs where I'm getting good money, covers all my expenses, everything's great. If that's all I do, I'm happy. Everything else I can be flexible on. For those people who say, look, Mike, we're a charity. And, and often with people I work on the basis of um, ping me every month because I work on a one-month window. Because I'm thinking, in the next month, I'm not going to get a 10 grand gig. Those gigs, they take three months and so on. So I can fill things up or I can postpone other gigs. So understanding your market, charge something fair, be brutal about how do you measure value for money. So if you're doing something, for example, which helps people increase their sales, good, because that's measurable, or reduces their cost, also measurable, or both even better, those are things where the client will say, Tell you what, um, I'll give you a fair amount of money. In fact, I might even get into the most advanced, which is outcome-based pricing. So if you were to increase my sales by a million pounds, I would be quite generous. Might give you another bonus on top. And you'll say, yeah. just write that down. In fact, the more you measure me, the happier I am. Because I don't want to come in and do sales training and reduce your sales, which is I'm giving you a refund and apologizing and please don't reduce. Whereas if I do some things where you're thinking, you'll never increase my sales by 10%. Okay, but if I did, how generous would you be? Then you can have a nice conversation afterwards. You have a base level price and then outcome priced as well. But it really comes back to a customer who you know and like, who knows and likes you, understands what value for money represents, and is willing to come up with something that works for both of you.
Now you do courses in London, don't you, on, right. on sales training? That's right. It's called. It's basically it's me doing a download of sales on a beer mat. And I do it a bit like stand-up comedy, to be quite honest. It's not like a workshop like I'm going to talk for 20 minutes, so we'll do an exercise. I do it to 30, 40, 50 people. I literally download everything and put lots of jokes in it, hopefully. And I sort of justify it to myself by saying, okay, you may have missed some stuff, but there is a 200-page self-study guide that goes with it. So if you didn't manage to hear some stuff, or even if you don't meet me, you can just go through this and all the good stuff. Like I've got a great magic email for getting appointments. I've got how to close. I've got qualifying bits and pieces in it. But it is specifically designed for the startup entrepreneur who's actually quite good at drawing classes. Just it's like, no. And I've got a couple of people who said, yeah, this is really good. Yeah, you can recommend it. You're thinking, I need now to... Just get out there without embarrassing myself and without coming across like a sleazy salesperson or turn myself into, you know, Del Boy from Only Fools and Horses or whatever. I want to do it in a way, in a style that works for me. Yeah. Because what I explain about sales is there's actually three jobs in total. First is what's called hunting, getting new business. You always need a bit of that, especially when you're starting out. But once you're established, you then get into farming, which is going back to existing customers saying, would you like another drawing class? Or... You love my drawing classes, would you like a course in, in sculpture or pottery? You know, sort of, they know and they like and trust. And the last bit is management, which is just making sure your pipeline is not dipping up and down all the time. It's uh, managing the process. It's a spreadsheet. Now, most people I meet are good farmers. And I say, well, that's good news. You know, you're happy speaking to existing customers who know and like you. You're not selling with inverted commas in it. You know, have you ever thought of the benefits? You're not doing all that malarkey. Mm -hmm. Just saying, do you need any more? And... Um, but in any business, once you're established, 85% of your revenue comes from farming. And of course, you need hunting. You need a few mics. Someone's in the organization always knocking on doors and speaking to new people at conferences just to you know, refresh you know, the pool. But most of your businesses, your technical people, your shy people, going to existing customers who, frankly, like and trust them more than they trust the, the Mike Southern sales guy who talks a lot and you know, is full of themselves. They trust the technical person more saying, would you like any more classes? The classic hunt, sorry, farming phrase, classic farming phrase you hear in McDonald's every time you go in. You say, I'd like a hamburger, please. They say, would you like fries with that? It's not like, let's explain what McDonald's is. You've yes. bought the concept of buying a hamburger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like to make that a meal? Would you like to upsize it? Would you like more? Yeah. They've trained all your farmers, your shy Chris Wests, and perhaps yourselves, to ask for incremental money all the time. You'll have enough business. You don't need to hire a lot of Mike Southerns to go kicking down mm. doors. I mean, you need probably one of those, a young person who's just energetic and is always meeting friends and saying, oh, I met these guys in the pub and they said they might be interested in drawing classes. Mm. Somebody a bit like that, but you don't need too many of them. And also, you don't want somebody to, out there telling lies. Yeah, one of the in fact, I've just been writing the sales chapter in my book, and I think you know, sales is one of those things that we tend to overcomplicate as well as as micro entrepreneurs because there's so much fear around it, right? Absolutely. But actually, we don't need a lot of clients because we're small. No, 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 and you see that. You see, this is the benefit of being a small business because sometimes I get, Mike, how can I appear to be larger to people so I'm more credible? You know. So well, the last thing you do is hire an office and put some actors in it to try and pretend you've got employees you don't have. Don't, just say, look, I'm a small business and I'm honest about it. Now, there's good and bad in that. Obviously, your concern is if I went under a bus tomorrow, you know, you'd have an issue. But the, the advantage is I don't have a lot of clients. When you say jump, I jump. And I'm always there at the end of a phone. I'll fix things without any shilly-shallying about. Most people prefer to deal with small businesses. Like if you love Italian food, I say, well, you know, Carluccio's is a great chain. And you always get good value for money there. I was in one yesterday. So that's a good, good, good option. But all of us have this little Italian place around the corner where we know the owner and they'll do a special dish. And that's what people like to get, that personal service thing. Yeah. And often, sometimes to your little small company, you have to say, look, I had to call them up and, you know, explain 
the lie of the land to them and you know put them in the place a bit and say come on buck his buck your ideas up and they said you know what we've screwed up a bit we'll sort it out but i'll do it now because you're my friend and you're one of my few customers so having a few customers doing a great job mm. is is a benefit i mean most training companies i meet to be kind of honest are micro businesses i mean micro businesses in you know husband and wife team is a classic yeah, with a yeah. couple of consultants four or five people ten people they've got three or four clients who love them to bits as long as they are aware that one day one of the clients will say, do you know what, we don't need any more training anymore. Yeah. But, you know, so you don't suddenly find a big hole in your revenues. You've always got a couple bubbling under just in case. But I'll tell you a big step that a micro-business comes to, which is when they've, they've rushed around for business when they started, got themselves going. Then they come to me and they say, right, tell you what we did for the first time today. We turned down some business on the basis of we couldn't make it work for them. We tried everything. We would have to charge them so much money and they couldn't afford it. We understood why. So we had to say, look, even though you're my oldest friend and you know, it breaks my heart to lose you, we're going to turn you down because you can only ever afford to pay £500 and I'm now charging 1000 for what I do and people are willing to pay it. And I'm sorry, if you can't pay a 1000 I'm going to have to let you go and please don't take it personally. So yeah, exactly. turning down business because your finance director said, look, you're losing money. You charge them £500. It costs you £600. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I know you love them and you don't want to let them go and you feel embarrassed, but, you know, you've got to say, to them, I've either got to charge you a thousand or, or yeah. let go. And that's a big step. That's your step in the future. Right now, get any business from anybody who can, get some money in the bank, work all the hours God gives. Then you're thinking, well, I don't want to work 16 hours a day, yes. 12 hours a day. And, and, you know, let's turn down those customers. And yeah. it's a phase people go through. They say, well, I did what you said. My got went through my customers, got rid of three of them. And my turnover has actually gone down by 10%. In, in this in this recent year, but, it's, but my profit has gone up ninety percent. Yeah, and, I, I, and do you know, I was having this conversation with somebody, and I think I don't think there's a way to start a micro business and not work your ass off for the oh. first two years. But once you've done that, once you've got the clients, you've got the credibility, you've got the history, you've got the reputation, you've got all your materials, you know what's working. That's when you can start making those shifts. Absolutely, but you. But there is no way to avoid the work your ass off bit first. And, and we ought to make this absolutely clear to people: if you're not thinking, I'm going to look forward to two years of working my ass off, <laughs> then please get a job with a corporate. Yeah, exactly. and five, and everything's fine, and the check arrives at the end of the month. And yeah, the, gosh. So, <laughs> but this is this is. You know, people go through different phases in their life, and there's. There's definitely times when you ought to be doing that and times when you ought not to. And, of course, yeah. there's issues, you know, somebody's literally just started a family or da-da-da-da-da. You know, this can be very difficult. Yeah. But then there'll be times when it's like, you know, I've been working in a corporate for a while. I get a lot of this. And I've uh, been working in a corporate for a while. Um, I've enjoyed what I'm doing. I've got a bit of money in the bank. I'm going to have a, give these drawing lessons a go, you know, just yeah. for a while. I can always go back to the corporate thing. In fact, a good boss should say, go on, Julie, off you go. Try your, your writing thing. Best of luck. If it doesn't work out for whatever reason... Yeah. Um, then you're always welcome back here because you're good at what you do and we'll always give you a job back again. Now, there's, there's also interesting things you do. For example, women, you know, if they go and have a, a baby, yes. they suddenly find themselves at home and, because if they can time slice, which is they can work for a couple of hours in the middle of the night when the baby's gone down this time and they can do a bit of writing or something, that's a good way of getting yourself back in and that's why working from home is so good. You can work any hours yeah. you like, you know, to suit your circumstances. So there's lots of options there, but... But I agree with you totally. You know, be prepared for the couple of years hard graft. Hard graft, exactly. If you're not ready for that, then entrepreneurship is not for you. <laughs> now, 2015. Yeah. What do you think we should be looking out for as micro businesses? Well, it's uh, the main thing is that we've gone through another of these economic cycles. You know, the mm. boom last thing. These will always happen. I've been through several recessions, so we've had a terrible recession, the largest one I've ever seen. But now we're coming through that, so there's more money around. 
Some people are going to stay in the corporates. Other people are going to say, now is the time to try my whatever, because still prices are very low for things. So offices are cheap and materials are cheap and there's, there's a few people around and so on. So if you can get the right people, now is a really good time to start a business. And just work with your friends, people you know. It could be corporate friends, could be real-life friends. For, always ask the question, where's the pain? That's the magic question we always ask everywhere in the BMAT world. You know, the, where's the pain? Pain or problem? Do you trust me to solve that problem for you? And it could be an opportunity. It could be a, could be an actual pain. If it's an actual pain where there's physical pain, you know, they'll pay big money for it. So um, there's a million ways to, a million ideas to do. Just pick the one that works for you and works for your friends and they're willing to give you money for it. And you think, do you want, I fancy spending a couple of years running around doing that. Uh, and just go for it. Just give it a go. But remember, you're going to get into sales pretty quickly. So asking people for money as early as possible is mm. always a thing. And I know it's very difficult for people that don't have my kind of um, profile. Now let's talk a little bit, just before we sign off, let's talk a little bit about mentoring because mm. um, because mm. I know people for whom when they've found the right mentor, and, and it's not always necessarily the first person that they've worked with, it has really completely turned their business around from being a slog to, um, to well, making it very successful. They've got, you know, big clients. You do a lot of mentoring. What do you think people should be looking out for when they're looking for a mentor? Absolutely. Well, yeah, I've, I've probably mentored more people than anybody else I know. I've done about a thousand people face to face in the last 10 or 12 years. Wow. And it's, it's really interesting. Uh, I mean, I do it because I can and it's fun. And, but also, I learn more than they do, which is quite interesting. But just to go back to what I said earlier, your biggest success factor in your new enterprise is your ability to find and retain mentors, plural. Now, the way you get a mentor is this. It's just someone you like who likes you. It is as simple as that. They're basically saying, yeah, I'll see you, Judy, for an hour, you know, because I enjoy your company. It'll be fun, interesting, maybe do some good. So they'll put a bit of time in the diary for you. Then you've got to go prepared because you've got to have, here's the questions I need answering. Here's the advice I need in a lot of ways. Now, of course, mentoring is free. Now, some people charge for mentoring. I call that coaching. Nothing wrong with that. You can charge for services. Mentoring is somebody's thinking, for free, I'll just give you some advice. When you mentor, you answer one of three questions in this order. The first one is the how question. You know, I'm thinking of doing drawing classes. How do I do that? And over the years, I've built up every business model. So I can give you the basics on starting a drawing business, even though I've never done it myself. You know, I can do sort of 20 minutes on anything pretty well because there's not that many different types of business. Um, and a lot of people stick on the how. So an engineer, someone like James Dice, will always give you, well, how do you do it? So... And how do you physically become a better writer, become a better speaker, become a better mouse catcher, whatever it is you do? But I'm very much on the other side of the diagram, which I move from how to who pretty quickly, which is that's as much as I know about starting a drawing business. Here's uh, who you should speak to who's an expert at it. can give you all the which pens you get and stuff that I don't know. How and who are the main ones? Of course, a good mentor says, oh, and I'll tell you who might be interested in buying your services, a friend of mine, to try you out. Give them a call and might even say, and charge them 20 quid or something, because I know they'll pay that. So how and who are the two main ones? The final one is why are you doing it? So in the early stage, it's very simple, which is uh, how do you make money out of this? So explain to me your revenue model. So they pay you for a drawing less than 20 pounds. Like, okay, I get that. Because some people are a bit confused about that, exactly what they get, and then how do we measure the success of the 20 pounds? What's the financial model here? Because you're thinking, you know, how do we then scale it and so on? So, so how do you make money out of it? And do you make enough money out of it and so on? Later, you get into, okay, you've got a successful business. Are you happy? That's the more advanced part of mentoring. So I always say, you've got an idea for a business. Make a list of people who you say, look, can I just buy your coffee? Can I just have a chat with you? 
Um, and it'll be a nice, you'll enjoy the process. And also, I'll listen to your advice is another key thing. You may disagree with them, in which case that's fine, but you'll always good mentoring ends with here's something small you could do tomorrow to get you to the next step. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And if you're mentoring, you have to kind of let it go if they don't listen to you and then go off on a tangent. But it's this structured, um, stepwise approach to what you should do next and who you should speak to, or here's something to get advice from. And the reason the mentoring works for me on a more practical level, as I always say, well, yeah, send me an email if you want mentoring. It'll always be soon. I mean, if you want mentoring next June, I don't know. Give me a call in May or something. But if you can work to my schedule and my geography, so I always say to people, look, don't want to be brutal, but if you can do next Thursday, 5 o'clock at House of St. Barnabas in Soho, you'll get an hour of my time. I need you to do a bit of prep. I need you to at least know where you are and where you want to get to. If it's, I've got 50 ideas, I don't know which one to do. Go and see a coach, get some mm. focus. You say, right, of all the ideas, I'm going to do this one next week. Right, if you're going to do a drawing business, give you basic advice, and most I'll tell you how. And occasionally, I might even say, because I like you, I'll, I'll tell you who else you could ask, who's a subject matter expert. Or actually, a stranger called me yesterday saying, oh, gosh, Mark, if you know anybody who does drawing lessons, I'll be really interested. I'm thinking, oh, you know, the planets are aligning for us. So it's a how and who, but it's people who like and people who like you. Now, young people who say, well, I don't know anybody, I say, well, yes, you do. Think of all the teachers you met. Some you liked, some you didn't like as much. You didn't hate any of your teachers, of course not. The ones you liked probably liked you. And we'll be willing to sit and, you know, I'll sit and have a chat with you. Because that's what they do. They're teachers. They're not usually in it for the money, I've noticed. Although I'll be working at a merchant bank. Yeah. So there's lots of mentors out there. You've got to be polite, obviously. You've got to work to their time scale, have a good set of questions for them, listen to their advice. And you can have as many mentors as you like. But again, your success in your drawing business, if that's what you're going to do, is about your ability not I mean, a drawing business, I could tell you how to do it. It's about your ability to find and retain mentors. Now, all your mentors may say, look, don't do drawing. There's no money in it, or you'll hate it, or there's too many people doing it, this and there. But I'll tell you what you should do, Julie, because I know you. You should think about doing a book on small micro-businesses, because that's your passion. I know you'd be really good at it, and da-da-da-da-da. And I'll tell you who, I'll introduce you to somebody who you know, can tell you about their micro-business, or I'll introduce you to somebody who might be interested in publishing some of your articles on their site and, you know, it's that kind of, that's how it works. I'm very much a connector because I'm an extrovert, so I'm always thinking, who can I introduce you to? Whereas other people, like Chris Westby more, well, let's get into the mechanics of how you do yeah. whatever. You need both. Yeah. So um, you have a range of mentors, just people you like, and you see, I always think about it in sales. I'm always introducing people because there's some deal there. I mean, it could be a deal, you'll enjoy the hour chatting with them. There could be a, oh, yeah, try some drawing classes, see how you get on, tell me, you know. And then it becomes a virtuous circle, which is fun. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Lots of great nuggets in there. I really appreciate it. And if anybody wants to find you, where can they get find you online? I'm www.mikesouthern.com. And, of course, my name's spelled a bit differently. It's not Southern, E-R-N. It's S-O-U-T-H-O-N, mikesouthern.com. And on What's- Twitter? And I'm at Mike Southern on Twitter. And just Google beer mat. If you can't find me on the Internet... Stay in your corporate job, really. I don't think entrepreneurship is for you. I'm, I'm kind of everywhere. But and how I'm, often do you run your courses? Um, about once a quarter, I think. Um, okay. But you've got beermat.biz uh, or mikeson.com, same place. Just sign up for I've got a free easy that goes out every week. We're always mentioning it in that. And, I'm sure, and I'll make sure you get the links on your site so there's a click-throughs and all of that. So, uh, yeah, so... and. And do come, I mean, we, we charge as little as we can for sales on a beer mat. Hopefully, it's something affordable that anybody can spend half. I think it's usually around a hundred pounds or so, isn't it? One hundred and twenty-five or something. That's the top price you yeah. pay. The last minute, there's early bird discounts and stuff, which Simon organises. 
but you'll get a complete download, and again, you'll enjoy me telling you jokes for half a day, but also you get this amazingly good manual, which, of course, Chris West wrote, which is everything Mike says, but in an order. And do- <laughs> Fantastic. So, so hopefully it covers you for that. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Mike. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Micro Entrepreneur Podcast. If you'd like to get a copy of the links mentioned, please head over to microentrepreneur.biz, where you can also get a copy of my business tools that I couldn't live without. Finally, if you like the show, please do leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast site you are listening to this from, as it really helps us with our rankings and to get the word out. Thanks so much for your support. Until next time.